jasoncharles.net Deep talk, deep sounds. I am the East Village. On jasoncharles.net Hi, this is Evie Grieve, and you're listening to I on the East Village on jasoncharles.net. And for this episode, we are recording at one of my favorite shops in the East Village, Limited to One Record Store at East 10th Street. And we'll get into some of the specifics about the address so I can find a little bit later. But with me is the owner, Christian. Hi. Hi. Want to say hello and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, my name is Christian Sorge. I'm the owner and the guy behind the counter most of the time at Limited to One. Uh, we're a record shop in the East Village, focusing on rare, contemporary, mostly used, lots of indie, DIY, punk, jazz, rock, hardcore, everything, sort of across the board. Well, your shop opened in July 2017, and I think I've, I've been doing the website now. This is my 13th year, evgrieve.com, mm -hmm. and the news of this store opening really took me by surprise because <laughs> in a positive way, yeah, in yeah, a very yeah. positive way, because, you know, on my, my site documents store closings and openings and whatnot. And we had seen this little death march of so many record stores in the neighborhood yeah. and in the city. You know, sure. obviously the last of the Kim's over on First Avenue closed in 2014. You had Sounds on St. Mark's Place, uh, other music, sure. uh, even some smaller places, uh, one of my favorite rainbow music on First Avenue. Yeah, so, I don't know if I remember them. The Birdman. Okay. He was no, this, no. He uh, it was a UCD shop, and he. he I would okay. just go in there and just come up with the most obscure. Like, uh, do you have the that Chapter House Whirlpool CD? And he'd yeah. go back in this stack and just like look around and pull out. And yeah, it, was really. just, it was incredible. But yeah. anyway, so we had a lot of closings, and then you know we had a few whole, uh, some excellent record stores left, and then all of a sudden we read about a new one opening. A new one opening. Yeah, I mean. Okay, so I think a little bit of history of me, you know, I grew up outside of the city, but I would come into the East Village when I was in high school. I was always a big music person. I would hang out here. I went to college in San Francisco, also did a lot of music stuff while I was out there, but I went to film school out there. And, uh, and I moved back to New York 20 years ago and started working in film. I went to film school to whatever, like to be involved in film production in some manner. I wrote a feature. I didn't get it made, but I ended up moving to New York and started working in production pretty quickly. And I've, I mostly do casting. I do extras casting for film and TV. Um, and I also did commercial principal casting, which is, you know, the difference between speaking roles and non-speaking roles. Um, but my company did like the extras for John Wick 2 and 3 and... Ocean's Aid and a bunch of other big projects. So, you know, I, I do that on the side. I still actually do a little bit of work from the shop until I can pay off the shop and, you know, all that good stuff. You know, then I'll still work in film for a little bit. Uh, I, You know, a lot of it does come from the fact that I was working from home. And I was like, man, I could be doing something with my time right now that would be so much more worth it than just like sitting on my couch, you know, hanging out with my puppy or whatever, you know. So like I could be doing something I love on top of the other thing I love, if that's possible to have two jobs that you enjoy, you know, or two businesses that you do well on. So, I mean, that was kind of the goal was 
to i mean eventually it might be my exit strategy out of film you know but i mean i've never heard of anyone becoming a millionaire off a record job but i mean i'm sure it's happened <laughs> so and you did do something on with the new series high fidelity I oh think, yeah yeah as well. Well, ironically Just, enough we did, i did right. the extras casting for high fidelity but it's funny because you know we got hired my company to do the extras but they didn't know i owned a record store and it wasn't until mm-hmm. like a few episodes in that we and like i told production like oh you know i own a record store like I can help out a little bit more. And then they had said, okay, is it possible for you to help me find a record? So I I ended up like um, talking to props a little bit and like helping out a little bit, like finding some of the super hard to find records. So that was fun to be involved in it from both aspects. So anyway, um, I was working in film and I would always like, I was still going to a lot of punk shows and indie shows and I was still buying records for myself even when people weren't really that interested in it. But I was still, you know, like I actually, we'll probably talk about it later, but I mostly focused on singles and then eventually got back into LPs when they started really coming back. And so I moved to the East Village in the area probably about 15 years ago. So my first apartment in New York was up in uh, like on 28th Street. And then, then I lived in the East Village for 15 years. And while I was here, you know, I always, I was like the last, you know, I was the last hauled out amongst my friends. All of them had moved to Williamsburg and then to Red Hook and wherever they went, you know, to Jersey City. A lot of my friends went there. Um, And I was still record shopping a lot. I love the fact that there were three or four shops here in the East Village where I was able to walk to. And I started working on a few projects uh, film-wise, and I just got really burnt out on it. And I had this idea about... What if I created a record shop that focused on higher end stuff or rare stuff? And then I wouldn't have to get such a large space. So I could have a really small space, but focus on sort of high, not not even higher price point stuff, but like harder to find stuff where I wouldn't have to have thousands of dollar records. And, you know, it's not a lot of digging, but it's like specifically curated and I wanted a shop that my friends would go to and be really psyched about, you know, like that, that was really the goal was to like have my friends who I thought were our like, you know, the best of the best record collection, which they aren't, <laughs> but you know, to, in my eyes, you know, they are. <laughs> well, and also creating a place, uh, kind of jumping ahead here, but also creating a place that people just want to hang out. You have the in-store performances. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that it was just, I wanted to, I wanted to, Give a little bit back. I don't even know if it's give back to my neighborhood, but I just love the neighborhood so much. I couldn't even imagine going to Brooklyn, you know, just because I live right here. And I mean, a little bit of his laziness, too. Like, if I'm going to open up a shop, like, why not open up a shop a block away from my home? You know, which I did. You know, I, w- I, w- I would walk through the neighborhood for weeks and we would look for rental space. And you know how many empty vacants. Oh, There's many. so many, right. you know. And we would call and there would be crazy. People would ask $5,000 for 350 square feet. And just like craziness. And we found someone who was like, it was it was total shithole in this space before we came. It was just like, it's where they dumped garbage, I swear. And it took us a good three or four months to clean it out and build out just a white box to do the shop. But, you know, I, I had a pretty clear view of what I wanted the inventory to be. And then we dealt with sort of how we wanted the design to be. We wanted it specifically curated. I had this idea, which is a little stolen from like Japanese record shops where they're, they tell all the pressing information on the records. And I was like, wouldn't that be cool if you get to like, 
you know how easy it would be to flip through a bunch of records? You could flip through 100 records in a few minutes if you got to read what everything was and the condition and what pressing it was and blah, blah. You know, so I was like, I can make it a very specific shopping experience, and it's different than all the other record shops in the neighborhood. Right. Not better, just different. Right. You know, so that was it. So I was like, oh, I could, I, I think I can do something different enough that people would be psyched on it, you know? And people were psyched on it, quite frankly. I was personally because I am a record fan, record store fan. I love shopping and I'm getting a little too old to like, you know, dig down through yeah, crates and yeah. stuff. So <laughs> your store is very nicely curated. So that makes it very easy for, for old people uh, like me. <laughs> <And> but, me. <laughs> but it did, I think it did take a lot of people by surprise. And uh, at this time, again, I just read off some of these stores that had closed. And all yeah. of a sudden, I mean, did you hear from other people like, oh my God, I can't believe a record store is yeah, open I mean, here. Yeah, I mean, I still <laughs> kind of hear it. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, maybe it's also because we're like sub street level, but I still like, I don't know if this happens with other stores in, in the East Village, but like I will get someone three times a week saying, hey, are you guys new? How long have you been here? And I'm like, we've been here two and a half years. Like there are so many people who keep like sort of running into the shop. So right. I, I find that interesting that we're sort of the new. But I think when we first opened, people were pretty amazed that there was a shop opening instead of closing. You know, I guess I just had such a specific vision for it that like I knew everyone wasn't going to get it at first. I sort of have to it it comes with a little bit of an explanation mm -hmm. because we're not like other record stores in the manner where like I have people come in and they sort of like, can you explain what's happening? <laughs> and then a lot of people for some reason are are confused by the name because it's called limited to one. And people think, they say, can I only buy one record? Which is, A, the dumbest business model ever, <laughs> if it was true. Right. But really all it is is like, because me and my friends are so obsessed with sort of like pressing information about records, that's where it came from. And also because we don't have a lot of back stock on stuff. Like if we have one record, it's because it took us a little bit more to find. So we're only limited to one copy per artist or right. whatever. Not right. artist, but per record. Yeah, when you first opened, I actually thought you just sold one record. Oh, really? I thought I'd just come in and just said, there's one record back there. <laughs> that like, would there be it great, is. Yeah. That's kind of cool. It's like the Wu-Tang record. It's just a few <laughs> exactly. million dollars, and that's it. Well, you know, that is interesting to talk about. I mean, this is very curated. And so if I'm coming in, I want to buy the new, whatever new hot indie band right now, um, yeah. you know, might not necessarily have that, but you would have perhaps like a test pressing or sure. something, maybe a limited edition that the uh, 500 red marbled vinyl or something. Yeah. I mean, we, so the store, the curation of the store is focused mostly on my taste, but also like a little bit on like what I find my customers want, you know, like if it's an artist that I hear a lot about and I don't know personally, I'll still try to get it in the shop, you know? And if it's an artist that, I'm excited for and I know the customers are I'll try to find the most limited versions I'll either go through a distro and get it or you know like I'm not like shutting out new music I'm just trying like I'm not trying to battle Amazon I'm never right. going to win that fight so <laughs> I'm not even bothering you know so like if you want that stuff go to Rough Trade you know they're good at that go to Turntable Lab they're great for that right. stuff you know but like that's not what I do here but right. we will have new stuff for sure sure you know but I also like the idea of someone coming in and saying like a, a new like a new person to collecting and saying like I love Coldplay and like okay well you know I might not have a Coldplay record but I might have something that's like 
somewhere in the same vicinity of that that you might actually like that you may not have heard of or you've heard of and you don't know what they sound like so one thing you talk about your curation and but you're also this sounds corny but you're very nice you're not, you know, if someone would, you know, we all have our record store, video store in the old days yeah. uh, stories. You know, I was just talking about Kim's on Avenue A when they used to have the yeah. video. Like, you know, there's guy practically assaulted yeah. sometimes, but um, asking for something. But you're, you're, you're very nice. And I think I could yeah. see a, a situation where someone would come in asking for something like Coldplay without like, you know, snorting or something at them. No, I mean, I will always say there's no, like, no pretension at all here. We try not to be that. At least I tried. No, I tell my employees not to but i can't always say that they're not um but for the most part you know like we all i i, I don't think i have the perfect or the best taste and you know like i say i have like 75 percent really great taste and the other 25 percent is total shit you know so like if you like fallout boy or coldplay i don't care like we all like stuff that sucks but we love it for some reason you know like you know i you know like i own a coldplay record i own a fallout boy record you know i own the shit that people like will think is bad or whatever but like i'm not going to judge someone because of their taste you know like and the other thing that like always confused me is it's like nobody wants to come to a record shop and feel like they're shit or they don't know anything that doesn't make sense to me i want people to walk in the shop and be treated with a, a friendly tone and like ask if they want to and i try to gauge people too like if somebody doesn't want to talk i'm not going to like shout up their ear but right. i do want to keep it friendly it's my business too right. like it doesn't make sense for me to call people assholes right you know they're not going to buy anything at my record shop and i want people to come back and want to deal with me and want to help me out and you know, because sometimes those people bring me records. Sure. You know, they'll sell me something I want or something I want for the shop or whatever. So. Well, I've been in stores too, even in the neighborhood where I've gone in a new shop and no one says a word to me. Yeah. And just and like, okay. It's just a really not yeah. a, a positive experience. And I do recall, well, I do have a memory of the first time I came in here and, you know, you were very friendly and yeah. we had you know, talk for a minute or two and I probably bought a couple things. And, uh, so that's a, you know, positive experience. And I sure. think that, uh, you know, I don't know those days of, you know, being a total asshole at the counter or maybe yeah. long gone, but I mean, I hope so. I mean, I've been to shops where it still happens to me, but yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. And, and I find that those shops that are like that, like the people who are treating people like shit, aren't the people who own the shop because that wouldn't make any sense to me for an owner to be an asshole to their customers, you know? Like, I know that there's this air, like, high fidelity, you know, where, like, the Jack Black character right. treats people like shit because they have bad taste or whatever. But, like, I don't, that, you know, like, in that instance, that person doesn't come back to the shop ever, you know? So, like, it doesn't help me to be an asshole, you know? It only hurts my business. So, for me, it just, it was just obvious thing, like, you know? Right. And I do, like... And one of my, I don't know, my resume special skills is I've always been really good about recommending music for people. Like I DJed for a long time on the side. I used to DJ at Lit and I DJed at Niagara. I DJed at Black and White for like five years. You know, like I know these village spots. I DJed uh, for years here in the neighborhood and the Lower East Side, you know? So like, and I always told people like, 
I'm not a good DJ, but I'm really good jukebox. Like I've always like <laughs> I can play good music. I know I I know what follows what, and and I'm really good at recommending music for people. Like if somebody comes in here with a list of two things they like, like I guarantee I'll be able to play them something that is in their general arena. You know, so that makes sense. Like to have a store if that's right. one of my things that I'm good at. You know, and you did the podcast too, the record nerds yeah, too. Did. That was. Yeah, so we did a we did a podcast. It was me and four friends. We had one in California, so sometimes he called it. And we all are record collectors. We all come at it from a different standpoint. We all have different tastes. You know, one of our guys worked for uh, uh, a label in the city. He also owns like a like a high fidelity label. So he was like the audiophile of the group. And then there was like a guy who liked a lot of pop music, and then. There was like me and our other two friends who were pretty similar where we come from like a punk and a and a hardcore background, but we also like hip hop and metal and indie rock stuff. So uh, we did that for quite a few years, maybe four or five. It was Record Nerds with a Z. I'm sure it's still up on all podcasts. Well, so yeah, and with this, you had a, in some ways, you had a kind of a built-in audience for the store too, because yeah. you had followers, yeah. you had it active on Instagram too with record yeah. nerds. So. Well, that's, you know, I mean, it's, I tell people all the time, like I knew that social media would play a part in the shop but i just didn't realize what a large part it would play in the shop like i was like oh you know what i'll do is before the shop opens i'm going to preview a few of these really cool rare records i found while i was prepping the inventory for the shop and i started getting followers almost immediately and i posted on our record nerds account like hey i'm gonna open up a shop here's the instagram feel free and we had probably about five thousand followers at the time and they're like you know, real followers, people who like love watching record accounts and finding new records, blah, blah, blah. So they started following limited to one. Um, and then from there, like once we opened, I would just post stuff and it became this thing where I would have once a week, someone come into the shop and say, I've been following you guys on Instagram. I've been really psyched about coming to the shop. You know, and right. I was like, oh, wow, this is right. this is benefiting the shop. And I didn't realize it would be at all. Right. I'm going to talk more about social media and Instagram specifically in a second. I just want to say this is Evie Grieve. You're listening to I on the East Village on JasonCharles.net. And we're talking with Christian today, the owner of Limited One Record Store in the East Village. And we're just kind of talking about Instagram and the following that you have. And it seems like for any business, I mean, you have to be on social media, I think, especially for a business like yours, because sure. you can showcase the record, you can this you know limited vinyl you can have a photo of what that looks like and you know sort of pique someone's interest yeah i mean you know like i said it was a real surprise to find how many people like would follow us and were interested in the records and and what i found where there were we have our regulars and our customers who like when we post something big they'll be like i'm on my way you know like there's that aspect of it but there's also the people who are like man, I wish I lived in New York. I can't wait to visit in May or whatever, you know, and I saw that happening a lot. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting to see that aspect of social media. And I'm not a, like, I'm not even on Facebook. Like I just, I've never been a social media person myself. And I just liked Instagram because I like pictures. I like photographs. So I like, I've always, that's the only social media I really enjoy. So to see the Instagram do really well. And we've had a few instances where like I'll wake up one day and I'll, we'll have, 
a thousand new followers and I'm like, whoa, what happened? And we'll just have someone who is like an influencer or something, you know, post about the shop. And I'm like, wow, like that really matters. And followers, I'd never noticed that. Like, I didn't even think about it. I, I mean, it's pretty obvious, but you know. Well, you know, oftentimes too, you'll post something and I'll see it like, oh, I have a new record. I'm going to stop there. Or someone else will say, hey, could you hold that for me? Sure. I mean, because you don't have, as of right now, you don't have any sort of mail order system. No, no, no. I mean, this is what I tell people. And, and, and I'll be honest, I won't mail order anything the day that I post something, you know, but I tell people, you know, the shop isn't a museum. Like, I'm not <laughs> psyched about having the same record on the wall for a long time. You know what I mean? So if something is sitting around you know, feel free to hit me up. If if you see something you want and you're in Canada or if you're in Boulder, you know, and you want something, hit me up in a week or two and ask me if it's still there and then I probably would mail order it, you know? But I'm not gonna, I want to give my regulars first swing at everything because if not, what's the use of having a brick and mortar? Right. You know, and that's the, that's the only thing I don't get about other shops is that like sometimes they save all the goodies for Discogs because it sells quicker, they can charge more or whatever, but... Like for me, that doesn't make sense. Like I want, before I put it up on Discogs, I want my regulars to be like psyched about running down and grabbing it. What about uh, Record Store Day? So we don't participate in Record Store Day in the normal manner. I think I heard one record shop once say that they called it Customer Appreciation Day or something, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I, I kind of fall into that, that group. What we usually do before Record Store Day is we'll, um, a month or two out, we'll start putting aside really cool rare stuff and then on record store day i tell people unless they're dying for something that they see me post and saying that we're only going to make it available on record store day like go to another shop first do your record store day thing and then come to the shop we'll have four or five boxes of rare stuff that we've been putting aside for customer appreciation today you and know? you had i recall when the last record store days you had a couple bands i think yeah too. yeah so i mean well, let me say this. Let me preface this with the the shop idea is based around a bit of what I saw in like Japanese record shopping and going to Asia and, and the way that their like setups are. But it's also a little bit based on a a record shop that used to be in the Lower East Side called Sound and Fury, mm-hmm. which was this really tiny sort of punk shop. And it's just everything I loved about a record shop. I would go there. They would know my name. And I would walk in and be like, hey, Christian, here's the three things I know you would love. You know, and they would literally hand me like things that I had never heard of. And I would take it home and I would love it. You know, like they knew my taste. And and they used to throw, they used to have in stores. They had bands. I haven't done like a full band yet in the shop yet because <laughs> we are a little limited right. in space. But I mean, they were more limited in space. And they had at the drive-in play in their shop. You know, like spilled out into the street, but like, you know, their shop was like the same size as this, except for it was thinner and longer. Right. So, but they still fit a full band in there somehow. Um, and so I was like, you know, fuck it. I, I want to have musicians play, you know, I got, I reached out to some of my favorite bands and their singers are like doing solo stuff. And, you know, so what I try to do each in stores, I try to have like a guy or a girl who've been around for a while and then a new person, like a new musician too. So like I like to mix it up a little bit. You know, we've had 
like Jeff Caudell from Game Face and Garrett from Texas The Reason, but we also had like Ned from Title Fight. We've had a few newer guys and some and girls and and some younger people too. So and you'll still do. You have a couple uh, limited to one specific releases too. Yeah. So that's the other thing I. I was always psyched on if I had owned a shop, I wanted to do some store variants. I wanted to do some art collaborations. We've done a few prints with a few artists. There's this guy named Ian Clark. He did all the, or like 90% of the illustrations for Run the Jewels. Mm -hmm. um, And he did a shirt for us and a print. We have been working with a guy named David... I, I'm going to butcher his last name, but I want to say it's Oren Kello. Um, but he does a lot of our design work. He's done like probably five or six of our last shirts um, and our bags. And essentially what we do is we usually do a small run of T-shirts and bags limited to about 50 each. So once they're gone, they're gone. We won't do that art again. So we thought that was like a cool little way of making a limited run on our stuff. Um, we've done a few prints too. But then when it comes to records... I'll reach out to a label and I'll say, hey, listen, I would love to do something with the label. I'm a big fan. I don't know if you want to put, we'll put money towards the pressing and then you can save us X amount of records that will only be available in our shop. You know, so we had worked with Tor Johnson out of Providence and Bitter Melody and a few other labels. One of the other ones we did was my friend Brian, uh, who works at Discord, he also has a label called Love It Records and they back in the day had put out like engine down and frodus and a bunch of punk bands from the dc uh richmond area and he i'm sorry not richmond arlington area and he was putting out the new mercury program repress of a record that i loved back in the day and i asked him if it would be possible if we could have a store exclusive so what he did was he made 140 copies of a certain color he gave 70 copies to us and then 70 copies to a store in Japan. And we were the only two stores that carried that color. And it was the most limited color. Um, so the only place that you could get it were at one of our two shops. So that was like a cool thing right. to get people through the door, but also for me to work with a label and a band that I loved. And, you know, I started the, the podcast with talking a little bit about, you know, this demise of a lot of these local neighborhood record stores. But obviously there, there are a lot of great shops mm. left in, in the neighborhood, A1 and Turntable Lab. We have five. Right. And obviously we've been talking about what sets the store apart yeah. from, you know, other record stores. But how, what kind of relationship do you have with some of the other? How do you see your place among the others in the neighborhood? There are, you know, it's I... Personally, I've been shopping at all those shops for years. So like as a as a customer, I've always liked all the shops and some more than others like Academy and Turntable kind of lean towards my taste a little bit more. Um, you know, like A1 I like, but you know, it's a different experience. You sort of like hands on, you know, on your hands and knees looking right. through records and like I, sometimes I just don't have the patience for that. Um, but you know, I've wanted to come and be a part of that sort of record experience in this neighborhood. I've always tried to send people to those shops when I feel like I might not have what someone's looking for. You know, if they come in asking for a repress of Eric Payne Rockham or something like I'm going to send them to Turntable Lab or if they're looking for like a lot at Seoul or whatever, I'm going to send them to Stranded and... You know, if they're digging for beats, I send them to A1 or their psych stuff. I send them to the Academy. Um, But, you know, like 
what I really would like, I, I had talked about this for a little while. What I wanted to do was like create a map of the East Village vinyl walk. I thought would be a really interesting thing is put on like a the opposite side of our business card, you know. So we have our information on one side. If you flip it over, you could see all the other record shops in the neighborhood. You know, I thought that that would be a good way to sort of place ourselves with everyone. And I know, oh, I'm pretty sure none of the stores in the neighborhood would care that they were included in this map, you know. But, right. like, I mean, I like to think that we're welcomed. You know, I as much as I love record stores, I, you know, try to limit myself to some of these stores because I just have too much stuff. And I know you're a huge collector. And I yeah. recently saw a photo <laughs> on Instagram where you did a little uh, home design yeah. work in this shelf system that you put in place uh, how many records are in your collection <laughs> well i mean okay so my collection is <laughs> it's large, a long answer right? uh i know it's probably about eight thousand records i you know and i this is and i should thank my girlfriend for this because this was a birthday present oh wow she while i wasn't around like had built a like a wall piece for the house and it probably holds close to five thousand records and the other thing is is i sort of love woodwork in like having to do with record builds and stuff like that so what had happened originally was this guy named brian bowles his studio he used to build uh like wood furniture stuff and he had built me this is a few years ago he built me a cabinet to put all my 45s and i was a big 45 collector when i first started and it holds probably about 1500 singles it's this gorgeous four by four pop open drawer thing and it's just gorgeous it looks like a piece of furniture you would never know it holds records until you actually look at it and he was the guy who originally built all the bins here mm -hmm. um and then he left the industry and then his like guy who helped him build was the guy who took over who had helped build our our newest bin here and nicole my girlfriend had reached out to him when i wasn't around to ask him to build this wall unit so they're all sort of built by the same studio um and they're all friends of ours who like i kind of love what they've done they i've passed brian's studio on to my like the record nerds guys they've all had pieces built by him in their house like it's just something like that goes with record collecting i think you know once you get into the few thousands you want something to display it in a proud sort of you know, the record room that we I, all wish to have. I recall an interview with Thurston Moore years back when he, I think he was still living in Lafayette Street, when he, he actually had a separate apartment just for his records. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> I heard Bismarck, he had the same thing, like in a, an, an apartment just for records. Yeah, that would scare me a little bit if I wasn't there. <laughs> yeah, I need me to sleep in that apartment <laughs> yeah, right. with, all, with all my records. But Christian, thank you very much uh, for uh, sharing uh, sharing some stories with us and opening up your uh, shop, Limited One, at 221 East 10th Street. We're actually in the West Basement. Our Instagram is limited to one NYC, and our website is limited to one shop.com. And if you want to reach out to us, all the info is on our website. And you can also reach out on our Instagram. I'm pretty good about reaching back out and saying hello and seeing if we have the record you want. You'll see Christian very friendly behind the counter here, smiling. And probably. Probably. Yeah, You'll be it, yeah. very happy to see you. And, uh, recommend some good records for you. Thank you for having me. Sure. This is Evie Grieve. You're listening to Eye on the East Village on jasoncharles.net. Thanks, guys. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to Eye on the East Village on jasoncharles.net. Now. 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 
jasoncharles.net. Deep talk, deep sounds. That was so deep.